Hey everyone, and welcome to the New Visionary Podcast, a podcast for artists who are ready to reach greater heights in their art careers. I'm your host, Victoria J. Fry, founder of Visionary Art Collective and New Visionary Magazine. Join me for inspiring conversations with some of the most inspirational visionaries in today's art world. Let's jump in. Hey, artists, and welcome back to the podcast. It is a special day today because we have Jennifer Agricola Mojica joining us for an inspirational conversation. Jennifer is an artist and educator based in San Antonio, Texas. I am so excited for today's conversation. Welcome, Jennifer. Hi, thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, I'm so happy you're here. And, you know, we have had the pleasure of kind of getting to know each other over the past several months. And I'm just so in awe of your work. For anyone listening, you have got to check out Jennifer's paintings. She is incredible. And uh, I'm just really looking forward to learning more about your journey as an artist, as an educator, and really sharing that journey with our amazing listeners. So I'd love to start by just dialing it back as I always do and asking you a little bit about your journey as a visual artist, as a painter. Um, How did it start for you? Were you always creating? Did you sort of begin to pursue art more seriously later on in life? Walk us through that journey. I think like most creatives, I was... um, Starting out with a really creative home, my mom was really creative. She sewed a lot of clothes. We grew up in the 70s. I was grew up in the Midwest, um, and so she made a lot of our clothes. So there were patterns and fabrics and crafts all around us, and she would do a lot of arts and crafts with us, but she also took us to museums. We went to we, we lived in Toledo, Ohio for a while, so we went to the Toledo Museum of Art and did classes there. But I think it was really when we settled in in Cincinnati and I went to an all-girls Catholic school that um, I started taking some art classes. And the classes were, they were pretty general. They didn't have a, a very elaborate um, arts program. But the teacher that I had would kind of let us do what we wanted to do. And we had a dark room and she let me in camera and I was able to take photos and to um, play in the dark room. And that was just magic for me. It was all about the process. And I don't even think I cared about the end, (laughs) the results, but it was about watching those images come up. That was amazing. And that sort of sparked something in me. And I wanted to go to school to study at a university for art. And my dad was very, you got to be practical. um, So choose something that you can make a living off of. So I ended up choosing visual communications at Ohio University. And it was very daunting. I went in on my first day of class and there were about, it was in an auditorium with all these photographers and they had these amazing cameras with telephoto lenses and I did not fit in. Um, and so I immediately went to the counselor and changed my major to graphic design and then did not fit in there and then switched my major to fashion design 
and then switched it again to interior design. And then finally realized that being practical (laughs) was not for me. So I ended up in the painting program at Ohio University and I finished out there. And it took me a while. It was about, it ended up being five years in the program because I moved around a lot. It was good. I studied with a lot of great professors um, and they pushed the idea of experimenting. During that time, it was in the 90s. So um, installation art was really popular. And so I was making a lot of installations. And from there, I graduated and moved to Prague for a while, lived in the Czech Republic briefly, and then returned to go to graduate school. And I picked University of Texas in San Antonio, which is where I am now. It was actually an artist I met, Leonardo Drew. I had met him at Ohio University, and he and I um, started talking, and he recommended that I go to UTSA because there was an um, instructor out here, Professor Ken Little, that I needed to work with, which I did. Um, I ended up here, and I switched from painting to sculpture because I was doing a lot of installations still, and then got a MFA in sculpture. But the irony is, is that the work that I was making in graduate school was painting. It was just relief pieces that came off the wall, and it was still about color. Yeah, it was just more form and then about color. And so then after that, I, I, I'm still here. I... Um, got married, had two kids, and um, got a teaching job. So I'm still in San Antonio, still making work. I did take a break, a long break, while I was trying to get a teaching job. Incredible. I always love hearing more about the journey of the artist. I think it's really important to gain that deeper understanding because every artist's journey is so different. And it's not always such a linear path as we've discussed on the podcast. Did you have a pivotal moment where you decided to fully shift into painting or was it sort of an organic progression or transition? It's funny because, yeah, there was a big shift. I was hired to be the sculpture professor at um, St. Philip's College. And when I was hired on the chair passed away and he was the painting and drawing professor. And I ended up picking up some of his classes. So I was sort of going back to things that I had done in undergraduate school, trying to teach those things to my students. I think that was a shift for me because I thought I better get in the studio and start making paintings, you know, with the brush Not an automotive spray gun, (laughs) not conceptual paintings, but real paintings. And that was about the time that um, my son had turned about one that I started doing that. So about 13 years ago. It's amazing to hear because I do feel that, you know, we often have these moments in our journey as artists where we can feel that a shift is coming or we feel that it's time to embrace something new or just explore something in a different way. How would you describe your paintings now in terms of the concepts or themes or ideas that you explore and have those ideas evolved since you sort of fully transitioned into painting? I think some things stayed the same. There's always been this sense of layering. When I was in undergraduate school, I was 
masking taping <laughs> bathrooms. So I was creating these skins uh, with tape that would cover the surfaces, but yet it was sheer enough that you could still see the surface of bathroom tiles and, you know, the transitions into the ceramics and the metals and everything. And then fast forward to graduate school when I was working on my sculptural paintings, I was super sanding these woods, these different kinds of woods, like I got a old cedar fence from Kansas and I laminated those pieces together and then super sanded them and then used an automotive spray gun and sprayed it down. But as I did it, you could still, it was a skin and you could still see the old cedar fence, the knots and the grains and everything. And I think now today, the work that I'm doing is all about these layers and you know, allowing the process. I think that's the biggest thing for me is the process. I don't like when things are tied up in a bow and everything is perfect. I love to let a painting be a slow read. And so it just sort of unfolds for the viewer and they take their time moving through a painting, figuring out where did you start or where did you end or does it even matter where what is going on you know what i mean so i think that those are the biggest concepts that i continue that's the through line i think for for everything that i've been doing beautiful and it really is beautiful to hear you describe your work in that way because it does feel like a slow unfolding and every time i look at one of your paintings I see something new that I didn't discover the first time that I didn't notice right away. And you have created such a beautiful balance when it comes to, you know, these layers and allowing certain parts of the work to sort of disappear a little bit and then allowing other parts to come forth. And one of the things that I know when I first saw your work and we started to getting to know each other, I asked you like about your color palette because your color palette was one of the things that stood out to me the most. Your color palette is so beautiful and so vibrant. Uh, there's such a richness to the colors that you use. Can you tell us a little bit about how you arrived at your current palette? Yeah. You know, it's funny is that when I was in undergraduate and going into graduate school, I was it was all about the absence of color. It was more about, I loved this earth tone. My favorite artist at the time was Ava Hesse and Leonardo Drew. And I just, I felt like I, if I could remove color, I could focus on form and allow um, light and shadow to kind of convey my ideas. And then going forward, I went to, in graduate school, I went to LA with Frances Colpit. She was our professor at the time. And she took us around to every gallery and all the artist studios. And I mean, LA is just so vibrant with color. And I came back with this sort of awareness, you know, of things that I was missing. And so I started making, but they were monochromatic, but I was making these pieces that were focused on these more um, uh, jewel-like and tangy colors, you know. Um, I wanted something that was lickable uh, <laughs> at the time. Yeah, and then I think a lot of just starting to mix color and play with color has really been through working with my students, I would set up these very vibrant still lives for my students, or 
I would do something where I would set up vibrant, like um, colored papers, and I would lay them out on a table. But then I would put a white paper plate and a tilapia fish, and I would light it. And light seems to bounce around, color bounces around off that fish, and the fish is no longer gray. It's got greens and reds, and and the same thing with that white plate. And I think that. And seeing my students mix color and see color, God, they got excited. I got excited. And so I took a lot of that back into my studio and started using that as references. Incredible. It's, it's really cool to learn more about your journey with color and how it came, kind of came to be because it is very distinct. And it's one of the things I love most about your work. And, and actually, that kind of brings me to my next question, which was, which is how has your journey as an educator impacted your work as a painter and vice versa? And also what got you into teaching in the first place? Tell us all the things. Oh, you know, it's funny when I was little, I think, I think with art, I also wanted to be a teacher. And I remember the little kids and I would line them up in the garage and I would make them do assignments and they, (laughs) They were the neighbor kids and they would n- never come over to play anymore because I was <laughs> I was the teacher. I think that was something that I always wanted. Um, and when I was in graduate school, prior to that, you know, my dad inside me, my head saying, you have to be practical. But also I knew, I knew, I, I just knew I wanted to teach art. Um, and I worked so hard to get a teaching position. Um, I was adjunct for seven years and had four jobs that weren't teaching that would help me supplement um, my teaching job. But I would take the classes that were, you know, the night classes, the Saturday classes, you know, the really off classes where the other faculty didn't want to teach. So I, I was doing that and I do whatever I could. And eventually I did land the full-time position and I'm so grateful. I work with students. Um, I, we really don't have a art um, major. So I do have students that are pre-art majors that are going to then transfer on, but the classes are mixed. So I have some students that are art students. And then I have others that just want to take an art class for fun. But it's really interesting because when you put them all together and they start making work, the bar always raises. And these classes are amazing. These students, I always, you know, tell them like, we're going to look at progress. Um, I'm not going to grade you on each piece of work, but we're going to look at the progress that you make. And this, and we line them up at the end of the semester and the, then they all stand around and they're just shocked, you know, where they started and where they've come. And it's just so powerful. I love it. I love it every semester at the end. Uh, it is so powerful. And also, I just love that you and really appreciate that you assess your students based on their progress. I think that that is the most important thing when it comes to grading or just like assessing work in general. Um, especially if they're coming in at different levels, or how would you say the your practice as an educator has has Im- impacted your work as as a painter? 
Um, you described a little bit before about how it's impacted your sense of color, but would you say that you sort of bring your personal work a little bit into the classroom? Do you keep it separate? Uh, how do you find that balance and how do the two kind of feed into each other? Yeah, de- the, definitely the color um, that has come back into my studio and even some of the objects like during COVID, you know, I started t- taking those here. And so some of the things that you're seeing in my paintings, those were things the students were painting. Yeah. And so I think with the students, um, I'm always talking to them about, you know, allowing for mistakes um, because they come in with these really small brushes and they paint super tight, and especially the ones who they're not art majors and they want to be perfect. And they see the students who've had several years of drawing and several years of painting, and they try to be perfect, and they get real nervous. I just keep pushing that idea that it's not perfect. And some of the demos that I make, they're terrible. (laughs) Um, And and allowing them just to see that it's this process um, to get to an end. There was a a while ago, I think, uh, I don't know, about Eight years ago, I, I did. I watched a demo with um, Max Ginsburg, and he was doing this demo of the face. And he's a, just a genius at painting the portrait. And he, I was standing behind him, and he kept talking about, "I just can't, I just can't get the nose. I just can't get the nose." And I was like, "Wow, like you can't get the nose? Like really? That's a good nose." <laughs> but I mean, it just like hearing him talk out loud, you know, that he's going through a struggle as well. And then kind of conveying that back to the students is that you're not going to be perfect. It's not going to be the best. And that's why at the end, when you're looking at the progress of their work, you're seeing that instead of seeing like one painting and, and you know, a failed attempt. Um, and so that comes back in and feeds my work. These mistakes, these sort of, you know, shifts and thought and, you know, changing of a color. And I don't like that figure anymore and I'll wipe it out and not keeping everything so precious. That comes back and feeds what I do as well. Yeah. And I think that's such a powerful lesson as artists. I think it's something that we like know conceptually, many of us, but to really feel it and practice that and apply that to your work is another thing because we ha- we do like it's so important that we allow room for mistakes and that because actually those mistakes can end up impacting our work in really beautiful and, and positive and quite profound ways. And I think that it's so important for educators. Like I love that you kind of model this with your students kind of like impart onto their students that mistakes are part of the process. Because I think that oftentimes, no matter what grade level you're teaching or what subject you're teaching, uh, the students tend to think that, you know, the professor, the, the teacher has everything figured out. And so by modeling for them that mistakes are part of your practice and that you don't always, it's not always this linear journey from the start of the piece to the end. It's cultivating this really healthy approach, I think, within them as well. And I love that it feeds back into your practice as well. It's really beautiful. And I love that. You're an amazing teacher and your students are very lucky to have you because I know how passionate you are um, and I know how much you bring into the classroom. And 
It's amazing. So another question that I have for you that is on a slightly different topic, but I feel like everything is always connected in our lives as artists, is your experience as a mother and how that has impacted your work as a painter. Um, And then also, you know, like logistics of how you make it all work, how you balance it all with your painting practice and, you know, teaching and then also raising your children. We have so many mother artists that tune into this podcast. So I always love to chat about this when I can. Yeah. Oh, so hard. (laughs) I can only (laughs) imagine. (laughs) No, when I was, when the kids were little, I was really focused on trying to get a teaching job. And so I put my studio work aside for a while and that uh, was hard mentally. I had a friend come in my studio and say, don't worry, this is just a season. Your Everything that you're doing with the kids, that's going to feed back into your work. And in the moment, I didn't believe that. Um, and it was really hard to kind of give up on my practice for a little bit. I was still doing a lot of workshops and, you know, trying to keep, you know, my chops up. Um, but I wasn't making anything that was really truly mine. And then the kids got older um, and I started to become more serious um, and spend a little bit of time, but it wasn't still a lot of time. And so it would be on the weekends that I would work. Now the kids are pretty self-sufficient and can take care of themselves. And so I can escape into the studio and to make a lot of work. But yeah, logistically, it, it's hard when they're little. I hear about some mothers that just kind of go in a little at a time and get something done. And I've heard other mothers say that they um, allow the, the kids to come into the studio. But that was just so hard for me. Even my dog, sometimes I can't let her in. She was licking my paintings <laughs> and I would always be worried <laughs> <That's you know? laughs> like, um, that yeah. they touch something and put it in their mouth. So for me, it was just better if I could just wait um, until they got older and get back into the studio. But now it's interesting because everything that I do, I think the work is about me um, and the work is about you know, this, this sort of visual diagram of how I think it's not literally, um, that, you know, I'm constantly shifting and moving and rethinking and, you know, I'm a different person than I was this morning than I am at night. And, um, I'm changing hats, you know, I'm a teacher and I'm a mother and a, and so that that is feeding into my work. And then, you know, that's just raising kids. And that's a challenge. Um, there's just so many different emotions and things that you're trying to deal with that, you know, you're trying to be the best mother that you can be. And that isn't easy all the time. I don't have all the answers. And so, you know, out comes all of this onto the paintings um, and how I'm just, I don't ever want my paintings to be a narrative. So you look at it and say, oh, I can clearly see what you're you're thinking right there. <laughs> but I, you know, it's it's more of the subconscious ideas that are coming out on the on the page. I love my children. <laughs> I mean, I'm not a mother, but I have such an appreciation. Like I always say that moms are superheroes. And 
you know, I just admire mother artists so much because they often are juggling like either a part-time or full-time career, you know, raising the kids. And then of course, you know, continuing to cultivate the art practice. It's so many things and so many responsibilities. And I just have such an appreciation for, you know, the work that you do. And I, I can't even imagine, um, but I respect it so much. And I also wanted to ask you just thinking even more about your work. I know that you know, I've seen you like many of your paintings and I've seen them sort of progress as well over the last several months. And there are some recurring symbols in your work, like the house or, um, you know, the human figure, or I'm even thinking of the crows, there's fish in multiple paintings. Can you tell us just a little bit about some of these symbols and what they mean to you on a personal level or sort of like where they come from? Well, the house was just an object that I had been using in the studio with the students. And I brought it back, as I said, um, during COVID. And I started painting it in different directions and in different um, angles and perspectives and, you know, small and large. And as I was painting it, I really started to think, you know, during COVID, how we're all in lockdown um, and we're all sort of forced to be together um, in a very unsettling time. And the house just moving and shifting felt like this very unsettling object that could never be stable. And that really, it, it just made me start thinking about, you know, growing up in the past, I had traveled a lot and lived in different places in the Midwest because of my dad's job. And we would pick up and move and go into a new school and then pick up, move, go into a new school. And this constant transplanting, it was very unsettling. Like you would have to start back over again, you know, and meet kids and settle back into a program. Um, And that shifting, I think, was coming out subconsciously through these paintings, as well as the plant that I was using. I was trying to trying to like during COVID, like have something that had some life in it and just be in my studio. And I just don't have a green thumb. And no matter how much I watered it or gifted it light or love, I talked to it, it would just, it just died. And I thought, well, I'll just, I'll just, I'll just capture this moment in different angles. And so that But again, ironically, I mean, we were going through so much and losing loved ones and um, not knowing what was going to happen. It was a really scary time. And I think that, you know, putting these two objects together and started um, playing with them, they became meaningful to me. And the fish, too, I think is just this it at first it was just an object to paint, but I think that that fish also had that representation um, as well. The pro that was um, again it was the students. I set up a still life of Vanitas still life for the students, um, and I had put a crow in there. I thought it would be fun. It was around Halloween, and I thought that would be fun, and they loved it. Uvalde um, took place in May. Um, and I happened to be with my daughter. She was out of school already um, and and heard that. In the, and she was a third grader at the time. And so it was it was just such a emotional 
place for all of us. Um, Uvalde is about an hour outside of San Antonio. Fast forward a few months later when I was dropping her off at school, I dropped her off and I had that kind of gut-wrenching feeling, um, you know, about just the loss of those kids and just my daughter. And it was just really a powerful drop off. <laughs> and I had then gone into the studio in the classroom and I saw that crow and I was taking it down for the students and I just plopped it down and started painting it. And that, I mean, it just, it, again, it was that connection that I made as I was painting it. And I thought from, I was just going to start painting this crow um, until I reached the 19 um, students that were lost in Uvalde. But it, so I don't know, you know, sometimes why I pick what I pick. And then it finally starts to, and I keep, I keep painting it. And then I start realizing what it's, what it means to me. And I think it, it can happen that way too. You know, I think that sometimes when we see these symbols or like recurring motifs in work, we might think or make the assumption that those objects, you know, had a, a meaning for, for a long time for that particular artist. But it's really interesting to hear how for you, some of these objects sort of acquired the meaning later on as you started working with them more and they started to take on, you know, a, just a different, a different meaning to you. And it's really beautiful when you look at your work as a whole to see these objects uh, popping up, continuing to pop up, and also painted in different ways. And in some paintings, they are more prominent, and in others, you know, this is coming back to the layering, they just sort of disappear a little bit, um, and you just see traces of them or hints of them. And I think that's something you do in your work so well, and really what makes your work so visually compelling. Um, so I thank you for sharing that, and I just appreciate your openness and you know, just learning more about your journey. Uh, one of the next questions that I have for you, one of the most exciting questions, I'll start by giving a little bit of an introduction for our listeners before I jump into the question, which is you have gotten a lot of traction over the last several months in your art career. You've been featured in numerous magazines and publications. You have exhibitions coming up. You are really starting to build and grow your career. It is flourishing. Can you tell us about some of the highlights and also what's coming up for you um, as we start to round out 2023? Oh my gosh. Yes, I know. Thank you. Um, I have, um, well, I was on the cover of New Visionary Magazine and I was featured in there and in Art Scene. Um, I was also featured in Art Scene and Create Magazine. Um, I will be featured in there and also in Women's United Art Magazine. Um, so four publications so far. And I will be in the Contemporary at the Red, for the Red Dot show at, in San Antonio. I'll have one piece. Um, it'll be one of my pro pieces. And then um, I'm going to have a solo show at Doc Space um, that's also here in San Antonio, Doc Space Gallery. Um, it is in Southtown. So if anybody in San Antonio is listening, the opening is October 14th, um, and it'll run through the end of October. And then finally, I am, I'm going to do a solo show uh, for Women's United Art 
uh, movement. Um, and it'll be a, a virtual exhibition and that'll be April 16th through the 29th. So it's a big thing. Um, a lot of work that I have to make. So, yeah. Amazing. I'm so excited for you and it's been really incredible and just so rewarding to see all of this success happening because you work so hard and you're such a, an incredible painter and you also just put so much love and energy into everything that you do. So to see these opportunities continuing to uh, to happen for you and to see your work getting recognized at an even larger scale is so cool. I'm just really proud of you. And uh, it was such an honor to have you on the cover of Issue 7. It's so beautiful and so perfect for summer. I think that's one of the things as well when we selected your painting for the cover, we were just like, this is, you know, so gorgeous for the cover, but especially for summer because you you use these vibrant greens and just such a rich color palette. So um, many more exciting opportunities to come. And Jennifer, will you tell us where our wonderful listeners can learn more about you, where they can view your work uh, on social media, your website? My um, website is just Jennifer Agricola. Mojica.com. Uh, and my my Instagram is also Jennifer Agricola Mojica. Perfect. We will include the links, the direct links in the show notes. And I just want to congratulate you again on all of your success. I'm so thrilled to know you uh, both personally and professionally. And I'm clapping for you. I'm cheering for you. And I know that you're going to go really far. So thank you again for joining us today for this beautiful conversation. Thank you for having me. Oh, you're so welcome. Thank you everyone for tuning in. And uh, yeah, we'll see you next time. Thank you for tuning in and supporting our platform. To learn more about New Visionary Magazine, head over to visionaryartcollective.com slash magazine. You can order individual copies on Amazon or subscribe annually to digital issues. We also have opportunities to get featured in the magazine, so be sure to join our newsletter and follow us on Instagram. If you enjoyed this episode, please feel free to leave a review on iTunes or tag us on Instagram. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.